Hey, happy Mother's Day. Oh, there are a lot of guys in the room still trying to figure out what they're going to do after church today. <laughs> Mother's Day? Hey, we're, uh, we're landing our series on stress today. It may be appropriate that we're doing that because chances are you and I have caused our mothers a lot of stress along the way. Um, but before we get uh, digging into that, I, I'm just going to ask that our mothers would stand just one more time. If you're, if you're a mother in the room, would you please stand? I know some of you are going, man, I haven't stood this much since Catholic Church. <laughs> I, up, down. It's okay. Once a year. Yeah. Okay. All right. There you go. All right. Whoa, whoa, stay standing. I saw you try to sit. All right, so here's, I simply, as your pastor, want to speak honor to you. Because the truth is, there have been a bunch of times that you have been the hand of God in our lives. You've said to us the thing that we needed to hear. You've said in silence sometimes when we weren't ready to hear it. You've encouraged us and filled us with courage in moments when we needed to move forward, and you've held us in moments when our hearts were terrified. And I just want to say thank you, and we honor you for being moms. I'd like the rest of us, everybody else, to stand, and here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you, if you're near a mom, to put your hand on the shoulder of a mom. We're going to pray for moms. This is the one time in church you can touch a strange lady, and it's okay. If you're too far away, you can just put your hand out toward a mom, and we're just going to pray blessing on our moms today. Let's just do that. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you. God, you knew us, and you knew how we were wired, and you knew that a huge, pivotal moment in our lives would be our moms. And God, we just pray blessing on these ladies. We ask, God, that you would bless them in the measure that they have blessed us. Thank you for moms. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Okay, so we're going to unpack this last uh, message on stress, and there's a chance that if you were with us last week, you walked out of here and you went, Lynn, thanks for nothing. <laughs> I, I listened to what you said, and it didn't, it didn't get me anywhere. See, you, you talked about this idea that sometimes we're stressed in our lives because we have disobedience in our lives, that, that sometimes the things that we call stress and the things that bring us anxiety are really God spanking us for things in our lives that shouldn't be there in the first place, and that the most powerful thing, the best thing you and I can do in the moments of a spanking is simply say, God, I get it, I'm done, and, and repent of that and be done, over, and then God can stop. We also said last week, sometimes it's not a spanking at all. Sometimes it's a teaching moment. It's a moment in which God says in our lives, look, there are things that I need to teach you. There's things that I need you to come to understand. There's places I need you to grow, and you're never going to learn it on that side of easy. So I'm going to bring circumstances in your life, and in that moment, it's going to kind of bring to the surface all the stuff that's going on, and you're going to discover in the hardest moments of life, boy, I'm, I'm not very patient. I'm, I'm not very loving when life gets tough, and, 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 and you're going to learn lessons that you would not learn without the hard moments of life. But some of us probably walked out of here last week and said, Lynn, I, I just didn't help because the reality, I mean, I tried very honestly to look introspectively into my life, and I, and I just don't think I'm being spanked about anything, and yet my life is really, really stressful. And, and I, I, I don't think it's a lesson 
I mean, I, I tried to evaluate, I tried to look, what would God, and I, I just can't land there, Lynn. I can't get to that point where it's a lesson. And, and my question, the thing that I need help with today in this topic of stress is, what do you do in those moments in life when, when God walks you right up to a dead end? In other words, you've been living in obedience, you've been doing what you know you're supposed to do, so it's not a spanking. It, you, you can't perceive that there's any new lesson going on, in, 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 but the truth is, it's a dead end. That, that if something doesn't happen, if something doesn't change, the wheels are going to come off. And now we're stressed. We're, we're just to the top of our heads going, I don't get it. Why, why has God brought me to and allowed this moment, this circumstance to come into our lives? Why am I dead-ended? And the only thing that seems left is stress. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk for just a little while today to say, what is that moment? What is it when this moment comes in our life? And how do we get there? And what do you do when it comes? So let's talk about the anatomy of a dead end. It's interesting how many Christians, amazing how many Christians, when life begins to fall apart, sit down. You get that's unbiblical, that that's not supposed to be the first response. Uh, you go to him and you go, isn't your, isn't your life in turmoil right now? Yeah. What are you doing? Nothing. You go, whoa, no, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Aren't you out of work? Yeah. Have you, have you filled out the resume yet? No. And then, and then you know what they do? They rub a little Jesus on top. Well, what are you doing? Trust in God. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. Isn't your home on the verge of foreclosure? Yeah. Have you put a sign in the front yard yet? No. Just trust in God. Didn't you find a lump? Yeah. Have you gone to the doctor yet? No. Aren't your finances upside down? Yeah. Have you, have you turned off the cell phone? No. Just trust in God. And you know what the next word out of their mouths always is? Would you pray for me? And so when that moment comes, you know, when, 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 when one of your friends... Here's the answer. You want to hear the right answer? No. I will not pray for your lazy behind. I will not do it. The, the reality is, the reality is, you can't do faith from here. I, I'm not going to pray and ask God to overlook your laziness and your irresponsibility in this moment and to somehow bless you. No. No. No, because the truth is, long before you and I can sit down and say, I'm just trusting God, you and I have responsibility first, that you and I in that moment have to say, look, in, in, in my capacity, in, in my ability, I've done what's reasonable. I've done what you need to do in a moment when your finances are upside down or when your kids are in rebellion or when the job is getting… I've done that. 
And you get, you get that between here and the dead-end moments of our lives is an issue of stewardship. It's an issue of saying, look, in, in, in my capacity, in my ability, I've done everything that God would require me to do. It's an issue of stewardship. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles real quick. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you're not real familiar in your Bibles, if you go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find this book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. It's pretty close to 2 Corinthians. If your Bible has 3 Corinthians, you got the wrong Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 19, here's what it says. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? Now get ready. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God in your body. Now, this is surprising for some because here, here's the deal. Some of us, when we came to Jesus, when we made that decision to be a Christian, in other words, you and I said, look, I get it. I get that I've sinned in my life. I get that I've done things that have broken the heart of God, and I need a Savior. I need to ask Jesus to forgive that in my life. You and I thought we got a get-out-of-jail-free card. We, we thought that, we just, that all that happened in that moment was we simply said, okay, I got heaven figured out. Scripture says way, way, way more happened in that moment in which we brought Christ into our lives. As a matter of fact, Scripture would say, you not only found a Savior that day, you found a Lord. And that the pink slip of your life, the ownership of your life, in the moment you prayed that prayer, was transferred to God. Which simply means this. Your marriage... It's not your marriage. You don't own it. He owns your marriage. And you are simply a steward, a servant of your marriage. See your kids? They're not your kids. Your kids have been given to you as a trust, as a stewardship by God. They're his kids. Your career? It's not your career. It's his career. Your finances? It's not your finances. They're his finances. Your reputation? And you get that between here and the dead end is an issue of stewardship. And the dead end is simply this. This this moment is when you and I stand before God and we go, look, I have in steward, I have in I have done everything I know to do to take care of your marriage, to take care of your career, to take care of your kids, to take care of your I've done, I've done everything I know to do and I and there's nothing left to do and the wheels are still coming off. And in that moment, God's going to simply say, if you've gotten there, then the next thing is trust me for the rest. 
You say, well, Lynn, how do you know if you get to that line? I mean, how do you know when you've done everything you're supposed to do? That's the hard one. Because you get that this line moves. So there is no exacting formula. There's no little A plus B minus C equals the line. Because there's some moments you and I have made promises to people and suddenly the line is a little further based on our word. There are some moments based on circumstances we go, no, I don't, I, I'm done. I've finished my responsibility and the line might be a little further back. The lines, and that becomes the challenge of the moment is to be able to stand in a moment before God and say, God, I, I've done everything that you could have asked me to humanly do in stewarding my family and stewarding my finances and stewarding my career. I've done it all. But here's the danger. If you and I get to the line and pause too long, stress will begin to build, and you and I will make a lot of unwise decisions because here's what will happen. You and I will get to this moment, and we will say to ourselves, maybe I need to fix this. Maybe I need to do something in this moment that goes a little bit beyond Scripture, that, that, that's just a little bit out of bounds on obedience. Maybe in this dead-end moment of my life, I need to do for God what He apparently can't do for me. And you and I will be in trouble. You and I will be troubled if we stop on this side of the line and never get to the side of trust in him. So grab your Bibles this morning because there's an amazing, amazing passage in Scripture where three young men get right up to the dead end. They get right to this moment, and it's a moment that says, God, we've done everything right. We've been obedient to you. We've kept our trust. We have stewarded the moment well, and it's a dead end. And now what? And what they do next gives you and I the answer. So grab your Bibles, go with me to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. And again, if you're not real familiar, if you go smack dab in the middle of your Bible, chances are you're going to find Psalms or Proverbs. Go to the right. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. Okay, so let me give you some background. We're getting there. The story of Daniel chapter 3 is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of us grew up in Sunday school hearing this story. What we may not have grasped in the moment is that it's a moment of dead end. It's a moment of three guys who've done everything right until now, and they're going to be asked to do something wrong. And if they don't, the wheels come off. Here's the background. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are Israelites. The nation of Babylon has come down. They've invaded Israel, and they have dragged off back to Babylon the best young men and the best young women. They've done this because they realize in the moment that it's going to be really hard to rule all these lands, all these provinces that we have conquered. So here's what we'll do. We will take their children back to Babylon with us. They won't dare attack us when their children are with us. They then enroll those bright and shining ones, the best of the boys, the best of the girls, in Babylon Tech. 
The idea is simply this. Look, look, look. We're going to teach you how to be great Babylonians. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves in Babylon. In this moment, King Nebuchadnezzar puts out a decree, and an idol is built out in an open plain where everybody from every direction can see it. The Bible tells us it's 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. We don't know what the image is. We don't know if it's one of the many Babylonian gods. We don't know if it's an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. But Nebuchadnezzar basically puts out the decree that says, when you hear the flute, the harp, the lyre, whatever musical instrument we can find, we're all going to play it in the same moment. And when you hear that going on, everybody is to bow down to my idol. Some of us go, man, that's, ooh, that's, that's pretty arrogant. Actually, it's genius. You get what Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do. He's saying, look, you guys have come from a lot of different cultures. You come from a lot of different lands. And it's okay. I don't, you can bring your customs. You can bring your religion with you. It's all right. It's all right. As long as you know this, that no matter what you believe, no matter what you trust, no matter what your custom is, your life belongs to me. So we're just going to do a little test. We're just going to have this moment. We're going to play the flute, the lyre, the harp. And, and in that moment, if you bow down, we're all okay. Because in that moment, what you'll be saying, what we'll all know is, no matter what you believe, no matter what your background is, no matter what your culture is, you know this, that ultimately, your life is in my hands. And we'll be okay. So they do, and the instruments begin to play. Interestingly enough, in Scripture it says, everybody bowed down, except three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And King Nebuchadnezzar hears about it, and he calls these young men in front of himself. That's where we join the passage. Daniel chapter 3. Starting in verse 13, here's what it says. Furious, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to bow down and worship the image I made, very good. So we're going to give you a second chance. You get another shot at this. You can rescue yourselves. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace and get the next phrase. This, this is the phrase. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You get the moment. Here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're standing, they're standing at a dead-end moment of life. And they're going, look, up until now, I mean, we've done everything right. We've obeyed God. We've followed through. We've held up to our end of the bargain. We've, we've fulfilled our responsibility. And look where we are now. 
Think, think how easy it would have been for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to go, okay, look, we're going to like half bow. You know, we're just going to, whoo, you know. You know, how easy for them to say, look, 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 here's what we're going to do. We, we've been faithful to God all the way up until this moment. We've been, and, and, and we're just going to, this is going to, this is going to be that one ill-lived, we're, we're just going to do it one time, and then after that, we'll, all the rest will serve God again. Because after all, if God were being good to us, we wouldn't be in a dead-end moment in the first place. Right? How many times have you and I said that to ourselves? God, look, I, 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 up until now, man, I, I've done everything, and I've followed, and I've been obedient. I don't get it, God. I don't get why I'm at a dead-end moment. And, and so look, just, just for the moment, I, I know it's not biblical, I know it's not scriptural, but, but just for the moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bow to the idol. And then, and then when this moment passes, then, then we'll go, we'll be okay. But God, if you, if you, I am stressed out of my mind and I'm scared out of my wits and I'm just going to bow once. It's you and I filling out the loan application. And there's the box. And if I check the box, I know it's not going to look that great on my application. And just an inch away is another box. It's not truthful, but my application will go a lot better. One inch. It's me in the midst of my finances. And I go, God, look, look, I know, I know. I know I'm supposed to be faithful. I know I'm supposed to be giving. I know I'm supposed to be tithing. But God, just for a season, just for a season, I'm going to try and get a hold of my bills, and then after that's over, then I'll be faithful again. God, I, I know it's a lie. I, I, it, it's, it's not a very big lie. It's a, it's a fairly white lie, but that lie, that lie gets me out of trouble. That, that lie trips the scales. That, that lie saves a lot of pain. I, I know. I know normally you're supposed to stick in your marriage. I, I, I get it. But, God, there is so much water under the bridge. I mean, God, we have been so, and I, I mean, I own part of it. She owns part of it. But we've been so hurtful. To each, I, there's just no way we could go back and repair that. So for this one time, and then after that, we'll, I'll, I'll serve you. pretty easy in our lives, isn't it? When, when you and I get to the dead-end moment to, to simply say, look, God, I'm, I'm just going to bow this once. I, I'm just going to do what I have to do because it's a dead-end moment. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible that God willingly and knowingly leads his children to dead-end moments? 
Is it, is it possible that in the midst of you and I being faithful, and in the midst of you and I being obedient, in the midst of you and I doing exactly, that God would lead us up to a moment that says, either bow to the idol, either do what you know you're not supposed to do, either live this moment in reckless disobedience, fix it yourself, or... Is it possible that God would do that? in order to see what you and I would do next? What his children would do with a dead-end moment? Is it, is, it, is it possible that the dead-end moment is a test? A question that needs an answer? Read what these young men decide to do. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He will rescue us out of your hand, O king. Get the next phrase. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. You get what these young men just said. They said, King, look, we don't know why we're here. We don't get it. We've not done anything wrong. We've done only what is right. But in a dead-end moment, we won't bow to an idol. We're not going to take this moment and take life in our hands and, and justify one moment of disobedience to... No, no, no. And you ready for this? Because we would rather step into the fire with God than to live this moment in our own strength without God. We, we, would, we would rather take whatever comes next with God than manipulate this moment with our own hands. You get that this moment, this is the moment you and I get to trust. This is the moment that you and I come to and we say, look, I, I can't. There's nothing, there's, I've done my part. There's nothing left to do. And God you're going to have to do whatever's left. Because at the end of the day, it's not my family. It's your family that's under attack. It's not my finances, and it's not my house. It's your house. And because I've done everything that I could do, in, all I can do is choose to go into the fire with God rather than try to navigate this moment without God. I wish I could tell you how many times in the last 12 months with finances being where our finances have been as a church and layoffs that we've gone through, workloads that have gone up to our eyeballs. How many times I've come up to this line and just thought, boy, if I, if I could just tweak something, if I could twist, if I could find some. And how many times I've had to step across and simply say, God, as best I get, I have stewarded this thing well. 
And it's not my church. It's your church. So whatever's going to happen next, you've got to do it. Because I'd rather be in the fire with God than trying to manipulate this moment without him. It's a big deal for some of us because this is exactly where you and I have gotten stuck. You and I have come to this moment, and, and in that moment, we said, God, you, you just don't get, you don't get how lonely I am, and I know I'm not supposed to be dating him, I know I'm not supposed to be dating her, but just until the right one comes along. And we bowed the knee. God, I, I, I know, I know, but God, you don't get the stress of my moment. You don't get what's... So just for right now, I'm going to self-medicate. I'm just going to drink enough that it doesn't hurt anymore. I'm just going to look at enough porn that I don't think about it any longer. And the answer? The answer, you and I need to repent. You and I need to come back to a moment to go, God... In the moment when you were asking the question, when, when, when you're at the dead end and what are you going to choose to do in that moment, I chose to say, in my stress, in my anxiety, in my fear, I'm going to bow the knee. And I should have said, I'd rather be in the fire with God than out of the fire in my own strength. What if the line was a question waiting to be answered and that God was saying, show me, show me, show me that I can trust you with what I've already given you so that I know I can trust you with more. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord Jesus, we, we simply come before you this morning and we just want to say out loud, you are a God who on occasion walks your children up to a dead end, who says to them, I need to know what you'll do when you've done everything you're supposed to do. When, when you stand on the brink and the wheels coming off is what looks like is next. Will you step into the fire with me? Or will you choose to do life without me. And God, some of us in this room need to come back to the line and say, I, I bowed the knee. <laughs> I did the thing I said I would never do. I broke promises that I had given. I disobeyed because I said, when things get better, then I'll go back to obeying again. And in the midst of my stress, in the midst of my anxiety, bowed the knee and I choose differently this time I choose to be in the fire with my God instead of out of the fire without him hear our promise hear our pledge in Jesus name amen